Contractor, politician, clown, monster. John Wayne Gacy killed more than 30 young men in the Chicagoland area in the 1970s. But is this case a simple one of insanity? Or is he just as evil and calculating as everyone claims? And how does the argument of nature versus nurture weave itself into all of this? Find out on this episode of Queers for Fears. Hi, I'm Abby. And I'm Ellie. And this is the Queers for Fears podcast. Podcast that we talk about creepy shit and And, spooky shit. And bad shit. And bad shit. And real shit and fake shit. And this is one of the real world horrors episodes and it's a pretty heavy one. This is very real. I want to throw in a trigger warning at the beginning for uh, mention of sexual assault and torture and some homophobic slurs. I don't think we're going to go into super detailed acts, but if you know anything about John Wayne Gacy, that was... Part of his ML. Yeah, that's his whole that's his shtick. Dick. Yeah. Um. So, just a couple of like housekeeping things before we dive into this episode. One, because one, I'm so done with John Wayne Gacy being in my brain, and I can't wait to just like say everything about him that I know, which is a lot because I read a whole ass book about it. <laughs> I was like, you did a what? I read a whole ass book about it. I did a deep dive. And I can't wait to just get them out of my brain. But anyway, we've mentioned in past episodes about getting new recording equipment and making sure that we sound better. And unfortunately, that has been delayed for a couple of reasons. So I ordered a microphone for Ellie and I to use and see how we liked it. And uh, the package, Amazon said it was delivered. It might have been delivered. It might not have ever been delivered. It might have been snatched by someone if you listen to our last episode about survival tips, you know that I have a history of thievery <laughs> um, in my apartment. So, so if you're listening to this, porch pirates, fuck off. Oh man, we have a Ellie and I have a plan though for this porch pirate. Yeah, what if they're listening? They're not listening. Plan first. They're not listening. What if they have their own podcast and it's called Radio Free Stuff We Got Off of Abby's Porch? <laughs> <laughs> This dumb hoe keeps getting stuff shipped to her apartment. Would you believe that? <laughs> yeah. Well, because I figured I would be home, but then it came a, a whole day early than yeah. what they had predicted, so I wasn't home, and yeah, it was just a whole mess. And so then we reordered a microphone. But the world is ending, so it's not going to be here for another month. Yeah, it was. I ordered it, I think, March 22nd, I want to say. Mm-hmm. And it was like, yeah, it's expected to arrive April 22nd. And I was like, oh, <laughs> This is like the bad old days of six to eight so, weeks of shipping. Yeah. So, yeah, that was definitely something that I took for granted for sure before all this started. But if you're like, hey, why does your audio still suck? Uh, it's because we're delayed in the process of upping our game, so to speak. So thank you for bearing with us <laughs> and our, you know, just using a smartphone to record. But you got to start somewhere, right? So... Hopefully it's on its way. And um, I also want to say a couple of other things about the podcast. One is that we're now on Apple Podcasts. Hooray! Um, So we're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. First of all, I didn't know that there were so many platforms to get podcasts. But anyway, we're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, and a couple of other smaller, lesser-known podcast platforms. Distribution. Jeez. If I could talk, that'd be great. <laughs> and then we also have our fir- our first Patreon that I wanted to give a shout out to. Yeah. On the episode. So, James Palmer, if you're listening, thank you so much for uh, thinking that we're cool enough to be involved in our Patreon. Yay. Yay. We appreciate you. 
this is there's so much information i have like 25 pages of notes <laughs> i'm tired of him being in my in my brain so let's just let's, let's go dive in. so a lot of my resources that i looked at during this episode were um either the since this is a local crime for us, the local papers like the Chicago Tribune or the Daily Herald had a lot of stuff on him because he was like the only thing covered for for a couple a of years. Yeah. yeah, and also I read the book by Gacy's defense attorney by Sam Amarante. I'm assuming that's how you pronounce it. He's he's an Italian guy. He yeah. says so. I'm assuming that's accurate. Um, it's called John Wayne Gacy defending a monster. So that's where I got a lot of my information from. And Wikipedia and other sources. <laughs> but, you know. Don't worry, we we go to the source list on Wikipedia. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> John Wayne Gacy was born on St. Patrick's Day, March 17th, in 1942, in Chicago, Illinois. He was the second child of his parents, John Stanley Gacy and Marion Elaine Robinson. Um, so he had, a, he had one uh, older sister, Karen. And his father was a mechanic and also a World War I veteran. And his mother, true to the time period, was a homemaker. Not surprisingly, Gacy's childhood was full of abuse. His father was an abusive alcoholic. He physically abused both his wife and his children on a regular basis. He called his, his son dumb and stupid, often comparing him unfavorably to his two sisters, which is shitty. Right. I mean, both of us are only children, so we don't quite get it but that sounds really shitty and yeah not great. and it's not uncommon for an abusive parent to like especially single out one child and so often there's kind of like a weird rift between the siblings because some have happy memories of their childhood and some have really awful ones yeah and i actually think he had two sisters yeah it sounds um, like he had an older and a younger sister yeah. so he since he was the only son i think his father sort of had pretty high expectations of what his son should look like and act like and John Wayne Gacy couldn't live up to these expectations by his father for several reasons, so we'll, which we'll get into in just a moment. John Wayne Gacy has said several different occasion, occasions that he never felt good enough for his father, but despite this, until his death, he, he said he didn't hate his dad. They didn't have a good relationship, but it was like still awful. But he still said, I don't hate him. And we'll talk more about that later, like his relationship with his father throughout, even until, you know, his last days on Earth. Because, spoiler alert, John Wayne Gacy is, is executed. Dead. Yeah. Um, growing up, John Wayne Gacy was a chubby kid. He wasn't very athletic. He also had a heart condition, which prevented him from participating in things like sports or even just like gym class. Mm -hmm. So he was often picked on, you know, being the chubby kid that couldn't do sports or anything like that. So he was picked on by people at school and his dad at home. So it's pretty shitty. Doesn't excuse what he does later on, but it's still shitty. Yeah. He's, he recalls being beaten with a leather belt by his father from a really young age. So one of these things... So his dad was... I guess his dad was like working on an engine in the garage or something. Mm -hmm. And at the age of four, John like messed up the pieces or like took apart some of the pieces. And so his dad beat him with a belt for doing that. Like a four-year-old. Yeah, jeez. Who's just probably curious. Yeah. And like also that's impressive that a four-year-old can just like take apart parts of an engine that you were working on, I think. Yeah, like, here's a tip. If you're taking apart <laughs> an engine around a four-year-old... <laughs> Fucking watch your four-year-old and your engine parts <laughs> yeah, if you want everything maybe to... Maybe don't. Maybe don't. <laughs> um, so, um, 
He also stated, you know, he was just beaten with various objects. At one point, he was beaten with a broomstick and knocked unconscious by the time, um, at the age of six, which I, I feel like this is something that children do. Um, he stole a toy truck from the store. His mom made him walk back and return the truck and say he was sorry to the owners of the store, which I'm like, okay, yeah, that's probably what that's I would pretty do. pretty honorable. Yeah. And when I was a baby, I used to sneak cans of mandarin oranges into my snowsuit. <laughs> Why mandarin oranges? I think my mom thinks I just liked the pretty pictures and the colors and it was just oranges. Oranges are pretty. And so she would, she, but she never like realized it because I was sneaky fuck <laughs> until she unzipped my snowsuit and like clunk, roll, 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 a bunch of cans of mandarin oranges. The mandarin orange baby. Yeah. We film at 11 Fox News. <laughs> like, she never, she was just like, I'm just, we're just going to keep these. It's fine. <laughs> I'm not explaining this. Um. So, yeah, like, one time I think I stole, like, a gumball, because you know how back in the day grocery stores were really gross? I mean, they're still gross now. <laughs> you know how back in the day they were really gross and had, like, open barrels of, like, chocolate-covered nuts and, like, peanuts yeah. that you could, like, scoop out? Yeah, and yeah. They had, like, a whole barrel of fucking gumballs. Ugh. And I had <laughs> stolen, I stole a gumball, and somehow my mom found out, because my mom oh, is, shit. like, she finds everything yeah. out, right? So, <laughs> I get past the checkout counter and I'm like I got away with it and so I'm popping this gumball in my mouth and my mom's like where'd you get that shit I was like I think I was four maybe I'm like how old do you have to be to eat like a gumball maybe like four or five yeah and so we had to go back in line we went to the end of the line which I hate lines and I think this is why um because I had to wait in one twice that day as a five-year-old and so I was talking gumball (laughs) yeah and so she she says, you already, like, it's already got your germs, it's already got your germs on it, you put it in your mouth. Because mm-hmm. that's where she got me, was like, when it had touched my lips and my tongue, right? <laughs> like, before I was about to have a, a hammed up time chewing this bubblegum that I stole. She was like, it's got your germs on it, otherwise I take it away from you, but here's... I think she gave me like a nickel or a dime or something to <laughs> pay the to yeah. pay the cashier with it mm-hmm. to let me know like you can't just take shit you stupid fuck. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to wait in line, give the cashier the money, and the cashier was like, "Oh no, it's okay. Like she's just a kid. She doesn't know." My mom was and this is like, "No, I'm trying this, to teach this kid a lesson." Like, you guys don't. I know most of you don't know my mom, but my mom was like, "Uh uh-uh, uh, no. she needs to pay for it." <laughs> I know. There's no way Grace was like, "Oh wow, thank you, goodbye." Yeah. <laughs> no fuck what she's like. She's like looking at me expectantly, expectantly to give this woman her nickel or dime or whatever I had. So, I mean, I think that was like a pretty standard pretty, yeah. parenting approach. My mom, just after the mandarin orange heist and the time I chewed a hole through the cheese that she was buying, mm-hmm. um, she just started getting me a box of animal crackers to eat while Dude, we were shopping. One time, oh man, that reminds me, um, my parents... My mom used to make a lot of grilled cheese when I was a kid because I feel like that's just like a kid food. Standard, yep. And and so like we'd have this bag of cheese and sometimes the deli clerk, because eventually like we, we knew the deli clerk because mm-hmm. I actually think the deli clerk was my music teacher in elementary school. And so she would always give me a slice of cheese, Aww. you know, because you know how they always cut it and they're like, do you want it this thick? Do you want it thinner? Like, is this okay? Yeah. So she would always give me that slice. And so one day I just ate the entire bag of of American cheese that had been sliced at this deli and my mom gave the cashier an empty bag to scan because yep. you know how it has the label on it and the cashier was just confused and my mom just goes we ate all the cheese because <laughs> <laughs> like 
Because she had a slice too. Um, but yeah, she's just like, we ate all the cheese, but we need to pay for it. So you can just scan the empty bag. It's fine. <laughs> this cashier was probably, you know, 17, like, um, okay, okay lady, whatever. Lady's just having a day. Yeah. <laughs> so, so anyway. <laughs> so that's the normal way to respond to your child stealing stuff. If they're yeah. like six. Yeah. For the record. So, you know, I feel like his mom, Marion, did a good job of holding him accountable for that act, but his father didn't think it was enough. So uh, Gacy received a pretty bad beating from his father with a belt. And Marion started trying to shield her son away from these beatings and defend him, which only made people, um, you know, including his own father as well as other people in his life, make fun of him and call him things like a sissy a mama's boy, quote unquote, a queer, mm-hmm. or, you know, much worse than that, that I'm not going to say on this episode, but you can infer based on the queer comment what those things were, I think. Um, also during this time when Gacy was like five or six, it's alleged that he used to steal his mother's like silk undergarments and rub them on his skin because he liked how it felt. Uh-huh. And then he took a bunch of them and just like buried them under the house. We'll see this pattern Some later. Some foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. Jesus. And so one day his mom found all her belongings and punished her son for stealing. And I'm like, nobody's like worried that this kid is stealing his mother's undergarments and doing this stuff. I mean, you that's definitely something you can do and like work through. And it's like, let's talk about boundaries mm-hmm. and clothes. Mm-hmm. And with the burying them under the house and the yeah, trajectory weird. that he followed, then it's just like, well, oh. Also, I mean, to, to your argument, too, I feel like, you know, there's a phases in child development where, um, you know, like, boys wear their mom's high heels and, mm-hmm. you know, like, they just do, they're just, like, exploring, you know, what is it, you know, all that stuff. And I think yeah. that's totally, that's totally normal. Yeah, they're not, Her like, life. fucked up about gender like the rest of us. Yeah, the rest of us <laughs> are like, no, men don't wear high heels. And I'm just over here watching my drag queens, like, um. Like, um, so then in 1949, at the age of seven years old, Gacy was caught sexually fondling a young girl and his father beat him as punishment for this act. Later, it would come to pass that John himself would be molested by a family friend who was a contractor. Um, and he'd take Gacy for rides in his truck and then uh, assault him. But he never told his father about it because he was worried that his dad wouldn't believe him or call him, yeah. you know, gay or that's whatever. That's what I would assume yeah, if that's I were him. Absolutely what I would assume, too. When he got older, his panty rating increased to stealing panties off of, like, clotheslines around the neighborhood. <gasps> and he used to use... This is so gross. I don't want to, like, say it, uh, but I'm going to because I know you want to know because you're listening to this, you weirdos. <laughs> Just kidding. Sorry. Just kidding. <laughs> He'd use these silk panties uh, to masturbate, and then once again, he would bury, bury them, them under, under the, the house. house. I don't like that. Yes. I also don't like that. Boundaries, man, are so important. So we're talking about things like nature versus nurture. Yes, Gacy does have an, a pretty abusive childhood, a pretty um, indoctrinated idea of homosexuality being wrong and being bad and it being bad to be homosexual and, you know, all of these things that his father sort of beat into him. Literally beat into him. Yes. John Wayne Gacy was married twice and also divorced twice, I think. 
So he first married Marilyn Myers because uh, he met her at work. And he worked at the Nun Bush, which is a shoe factory. It's a shoe, it's a shoe store that doesn't exist anymore. Huh. But what's funny is I was playing L.A. Noire. Um, <laughs> That's not where I expected that sentence to go. <laughs> <laughs> I was playing L.A. Noire, and one of the crimes that you play in L.A. Noire has a Nun Bush in it. Nun what? Bush shoe store in it. And I was like... And my, my partner was playing, and I was like, that's where John Wayne Gacy used to work. And he's like, okay. And my partner was like, I'm sad that you, like, kind of had this look like, why do you know that? But also like, oh, right, the podcast. But also like, why do you know that? <laughs> like, did not know how to respond. Um, <laughs> Just like, okay, that's a thing that I know now. He met, like I said, he met her at work, and they were married in September of 1964. So you'd have been, what, 22? Yep. Yep. Um, which I think is pretty young, but I guess that's a pretty average age to get married. For that, yeah. Four. For those times, yeah. Yep. But man. And even now, I feel like I have, I know friends from college that have gotten married that young. Mm-hmm. So Gacy said that he was sexually frustrated while he was married. He said that he participated in wife swapping occasionally, but that didn't satiate his uh, sexual appetite because, spoiler alert, he was gay. Yeah. He insists that he's bisexual. But could be. I mean, he could be. You can be like a Kinsey Five and still be bi. Yeah, but yeah, he was a hard Kinsey Five at least. I think <laughs> he also did things like watch porn. He so okay. Correct me if this is not an okay way to put this, but he solicited sex workers mm-hmm. a lot and frequently cheated on both wives with sex workers. Mm-hmm. So, um, their first. So eventually, somehow this happens that she's pregnant, and their first son, Michael John, was born in February of 1966, while his wife was in labor. This is in caps in her To notes. his child. Oh my god, this makes me so angry. <laughs> he went trolling, quote unquote, for women with a friend named Adam Johnson, and they, he claims that they went out trolling for women to like celebrate him being a dad. You know, <laughs> like you do. What happened to like We're breaking out she- the cigars? Yeah, exactly. What happened to the cigars or maybe a a, a shot? Like, mm-hmm. what the hell? So, um, they were talking about how Gacy was just like, oh, you know, he's like this bigger, bigger, round, like not super attractive dude. And when he didn't pick up a woman, his friend was like, well, you know, like a blowjob is a blowjob, no matter who from. Which sounds like a very fucked up Dr. Seuss. It sounds like X-rated Dr. Seuss. Yeah, it's like a person's a person's no matter how small. And also a blowjob's a blowjob no matter who from. It's fucked up. But anyway, and this is his first uh, confessed sexual encounter with a man. Mm -hmm. Is um, oral sex with Adam Johnson. He insists that he isn't gay and that he simply just like, he just closed his eyes and imagined that it was a woman performing this act on him. And I'm just like, okay, sure, dude. Whatever. Um, nobody can read your brain. But um, also, I want to point out that I poured myself a glass of wine to deal with this book because it's it's good. It's really... I have some qualms and hot takes and opinions on this book and on this trial and just on everything because that's who I am as a person. <laughs> um, but I poured myself a glass of wine during this. And anytime Sam Amarante wrote something about Gacy, like 
vehemently denying being a homosexual, I took a sip. And y'all, I finished my glass of wine in maybe 40 minutes. <laughs> that might seem like a long time, but I'm like, I wanted to read everything carefully. So mm -hmm. I was taking my time reading and like, so 40 minutes was not a lot of yeah. pages read. So, um, and she has big wine glasses. I do it. And I pour them healthily. Like I like <laughs> you too. So anyway, he, like I said, he kept insisting that he was bisexual, but let's see what we think by the end of this fucking episode personally i think we just don't want to claim him for our own so we're <laughs> yeah, gonna be like, like nah. no he's not one of us man i don't know <laughs> I, don't. I don't know his daughter christine was born in march of 1967 and i hope he wasn't cheating on his wife during that birth that's all i have to say about that <laughs> there wasn't a real lot about christine's birth but um marilyn's father purchased three kentucky fried chicken restaurants in waterloo iowa and the couple moved there so that he could manage the restaurants eventually, with the understanding that he would move into Marilyn parents, Marilyn's parents' home in the meantime. So he would be making about $15,000 per year for managing these restaurants, and Damn. that's the equivalent of $115,513 today. $20,000. Yeah, so he was, I mean, that's a pretty good deal, man. I'd move to Waterloo, Iowa for that much money. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'd move to the fucking moon for that much money where I couldn't even fucking use it, but I'd still go <laughs> <laughs> Stay away. <laughs> and then in 1960, when he was eight, uh, oh, wait, we're backtracking a little bit, aren't we? I'll have to change this in the editing. In 1960, at the age of 18, Gacy became a precinct captain for the Democratic Party, to which his father called him a patsy for doing this. What? A this, patsy for who? For being a Democrat, I think. I, okay. Is the, is the logic there. Well, I think this, I think it's fine to leave this in where it is because he, like, was a, he was involved in local politics for kind of a long time. And we'll come back to People that. People knew him. Cops yeah. knew him. Mm -hmm. Trusted him. Mm -hmm. And that's why when this case broke, everyone was, like, shocked yeah. beyond, beyond belief. Yeah. So, the senior that he became the precinct captain, which I don't even know what a precinct captain I know for a for a political is, party does maybe that means that he was like in charge of like canvassing and stuff for that area. Mm, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah, and like organizing stuff. And like people liked people liked him. Mm -hmm. He was a really weird dude, which we'll talk more about later. But people liked him On the surface, overall. Yeah, he was apparently a likable guy, and that comes up in the trial too, which we'll get to eventually. But and I think um, that's part of why people were so horrified. Like, yeah, he was definitely always like that guy. I'd be like, oh well, we all knew. But if it's like, oh shit, we trusted this guy. So I mean, I want to say you know his formative years growing up, he had a pretty. Like, he had some pretty um, normal consequences for actions that were just taken too far. The consequence for stealing could have been stopped at, okay, you need to give this truck back and apologize, apologize and never do this again. Stealing is wrong. Right. Got it. Solid response. Yeah, like, I don't think I ever stole again. Right? Just like when I was biting people at daycare, <laughs> and my mom, and I bit my mom, and my mom bit me back, and I started crying, and my mom was like, yeah, that hurts. Don't do that to people. I'm sure she didn't bite me very hard. But, no, I think you know, she just gave you a little nip on the nose Yeah, I mean, I was like three, and I was yeah. like, oh, that feels weird, and I don't like it. She's like, yeah, don't do that to people, right? I, like, stopped doing that yep. after that one time. <laughs> um, but anyway. <laughs> that kid who took that red crayon, though, deserved it. <laughs> The same year he, he became precinct captain, his father bought him a car and said, basically, hey, if you don't follow my rules, you know, with this car, you'll have to give me the keys back, which is like, I feel like that's pretty standard. But he was also 18. Yeah. So it's kind of weird. But basically he, the car was in his dad's name. And so he had to 
um, work in order to make monthly payments on it. So he was basically paying his dad back. Like his dad had bought the whole car and he was just paying for it to be in his, the papers to be in his name. Yeah. I mean, that's probably less predatory, you know, than an auto loan. Right. Yeah. Assuming your dad is normal, which his dad was not normal, but whatever. But I mean, that seems pretty standard setup for car ownership. Yeah. When you're 18. Yeah. (laughs) Eventually Gacy, this is where I was like, I would do the same thing. And then I was like, Oh God, don't think that way. I mean, but Gacy made his own copy of the key. Okay. So that he would have two copies of keys. So even if he broke the rules and, and gave, had to hand over a pair to his dad. Yeah, he yeah. still had some. Okay. So his dad finds out that Gacy has made these copies of these keys. Mm-hmm. And so when he fucks up and still has a key to drive the car around, his dad decides that he's gonna fucking remove the fuck the distributor cap. Oh. And took it off for like three days. And so Gacy, as a result, felt like totally sick and like super tired because I guess this is like for a chemical or something in your car. So inhaling it will just make you feel ill. So yeah, he just took the fucking distributing cap off of his car. And held onto it for three days. And just held onto it, you know, casual. After this instance is when Gacy fled his home where he worked for a, mor- a mortuary for a while as an assistant. And he even confessed to, while working at this mortuary in the embalming room, he climbed into the coffin of a deceased teenage man and caressed him and embraced him and, like, cuddled with him in the coffin. Um, okay. And then he was like, oh, shit, I should go home. So here's another thing that I don't understand how this happened. Maybe someone can explain it to me. <laughs> we have but questions. John Wayne Gacy didn't graduate high school. Okay. Um, which is fine. But he also successfully enrolled in the Northwestern Business College. Maybe he got a GED at some point? Maybe. I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't mention him getting a GED, but... Who knows? And he graduated this course in 1963, which is why he was able to work in a good place and meet Marilyn and why he was able to take over these KFCs that Marilyn's father had purchased. KFC comes up later, so just remember that tidbit. Oh, God. <laughs> so he also, as everybody fucking knows, had a side gag dressing up as Pogo the Clown. To which I put in our notes, in parentheses, oh, God, why? Because I don't like clowns. <laughs> so as Detective Sergeant Jason Moran of the Cook County Sheriff's Office put it, The public would feel much more comfortable if Gacy was this type of creepy, sequestered ghoul that was unkempt and heinous, but instead he dressed as a clown and bounced kids on his knee. He would knock out your door and say, vote for my candidate. And he also apparently learned a quote-unquote trick with handcuffs that he ended with- Or rope. That he used on his victims, and he used that as- We'll talk about later. Yeah. He used that as part of his work uh, Mm -hmm. as a clown. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess he was like a magician clown type thing. Yeah, and of course the media seized on this and referred to him as the killer clown. Because, of course, we have to give serial killers these, like, names that... Yeah. And it's like, this is what they want. Like, don't do this. And while he was in prison, he apparently painted portraits of Pogo that are super creepy. Yeah, and of course we'll there post are... some on in Instagram. Yeah, and of course there are some, like, urban legends that say that he dressed up as the clown when committing the murders, but... Some sources say that's patently false and there doesn't really seem to be a good origin point for that. and there's really no proof that he did that because I think only one of his victims escaped when he was first starting out. Yeah. Um, And when he was confessing, he referred to himself in the third person as John did this or Jack did this. So if he had committed the murders as Pogo and was, like, trying to distance himself 
from the murders by referring him to himself in the third person, why wouldn't he just do that? <laughs> or he so. made up a second personality named Jack, which we'll talk about later, but I have some opinions about that. <laughs> so although the titular character in It is not literally a clown, he's actually like some sort of, I don't know, ancient malevolent force that like mm-hmm. manifests itself as whatever you're afraid of. Yeah. And Stephen King claims that his inspiration for It was Trolls Under Bridges. The book was released just six years after Gacy was convicted, which sort of boosted the trajectory of the killer clown trope. Even though Gacy was not the first. I feel like he certainly gave it a boost. Mm -hmm. Then there was that thing in 2016 with the clown sightings. Oh my god. Does everybody remember this? so horrific. Like, 2016 was bad, and now 2020, we're all locked inside and the world is ending. And I'm like, can we come back to the killer clowns? (laughs) Can we just go back? That was, I mean, that was weird. I was fine with that. Terrifying, but like, at least I got to get toilet paper at the store. (laughs) It started out in Green Bay, Wisconsin, and at this one apartment complex in Greenville, South South Carolina, where it was reported that the clowns were trying to lure kids into the woods behind the apartment complex. That's terrifying. I hate that. Yeah. And professional clowns spoke out against the creepy clown thing, including the president of the World Clown Association, which sounds like a great job. (laughs) That sounds fake. (laughs) So yeah. And that year, like schools um, banned schools and in some cases entire towns banned or discouraged people from dressing up as clowns for Halloween. Mm-hmm. Um, stores pulled their clown costumes. Theme parks either had their, you know, who are doing like spooky, like Six Flags does a spooky Halloween theme thing. What's it called? What? Fright Night or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So some um, other, some theme parks who did stuff like this either had their employees like not dress up as clowns or they like issued guidance to them telling them to take off their clown outfits and makeup when commuting home and stuff like that. Yeah. And if you're interested in hearing more about these Claire clowns, another cool podcast that I listen to, Sinisterhood does a whole episode just on killer clowns. Oh, sick. Um, which is like fascinating of this like sort of blip in you know the twenty uh, the twenty teens or whatever yeah. of these weird color clowns. What a time to be alive! Yeah, what a time. <laughs> anyway, there's and I've also read ar- articles about how he did his makeup as a clown was not typical clown makeup. Yeah, because it's a lot of angles yeah, it's like... a lot of angles. He did like triangles on his eyes, which is not normal normal clown makeup. Like, which I don't know. <laughs> um, but over. Um, but you know, like you're supposed to do is like sort of rounded things because people are so freaked out about clowns. Yeah, it's supposed to be sort of like a happy, wholesome, friendly yeah. shape. But these like triangles, yeah. they look terrifying. Mm-hmm. And he did like triangles for his cupid's bow or something, right? Didn't yeah. He? It's- Nuts. We'll post it on the Instagram. Don't worry. Upsetting. Can't wait to Google John Wayne Gacy pogo the clown later. (laughs) (laughs) So looking forward to that. (laughs) Thank you, internet. (laughs) Already, I'm like, oh no. I really don't like clowns, guys. It all stems back to... Sorry, we're going on lots of tangents here, but that's because I don't really want to talk about (laughs) about the (laughs) horrors of John. I know. I was basically just like... In Six Flags, during Fright Fest, and there were these clowns on stilts. I'm, I'm clowns that don't bother me. So this is this is fascinating. There were these clowns on stilts, and they scared the bejesus out of me because <laughs> because we're very short. Because yeah, one, I'm very small, and anything on stilts, I'm like that's terrifying and wrong. Don't like, step on me. Yeah. You're gonna jump on me! You're gonna squash me like, like a bug! Squash me like a bug! I'm not gonna jump on you! Anyway, that's from the producers. In case you're like, what the fuck? Um, 
So this clown is walking around on a stilts, maniacally laughing, just being upsetting in general. And I walk past him. I'm like clutching my boyfriend at the time's hand because I'm terrified. And I've walked past the clowns. I'm like, okay, we made it past the fucking killer clowns. Because of course they're dressed like killer clowns, not just regular clowns, which would be terrifying enough for me. But (laughs) alas, it was Fright Fest. So then they just, I walk past them and one of these stilted horrible people just takes his little horn and goes <laughs> right in my ear <laughs> I hope you like that sound effect but he did it right in my ear and I jumped and screamed and ever since then I think I was like 17 but ever since that moment I've been terrified of clowns because they're just because oh, the feeling I got when they <laughs> right in my ear I was like oh I never want to experience this feeling again but every time I see a clown that's what happens to me can I go off on a brief tangent about my mom's experience in a haunted house? <sighs> yes. It wasn't a clown, but she and my dad were going through this haunted house. And of course, people like pop out and scare you at various points. But there was this guy in a werewolf costume who was definitely following them throughout the haunted house. Mm-hmm. Like my parents would turn a corner and they would see like his clothes still rustling because he had like run into place to like come and scare them. Yeah. My mom was starting to get a little freaked out. She's on this trip with my dad because she's about to have, I forget, some kind of surgery that she was nervous about. Mm -hmm. So eventually, like, this werewolf is really freaking them out, and they just wanted to get through the haunted house. And my dad is, like, waving, like, a rolled-up piece of paper or something in front of him to, like, trip all the motion sensor stuff that's going to go off because he's just trying to get my mom through this house. very, very Don. Yeah, that's very my dad. (laughs) And she's, you know, because my mom was saying, like, Don, this is is really freaky. And the, the werewolf starts, like, taunting them. Like, starts, like, heckling them. And my mom was like, listen, I'm just here to have a good time because I'm having this surgery and I'm really nervous about it. Like, and you're really stressing me out. Like, I get this is is your job, but could you please just take it down a notch? And he overhears my dad call my mom Annette. And he goes, ooh, Annette, I'll do the surgery for you. And so they, like, run through this haunted house and, like, come bursting out into the waiting room, gasping for air. And everybody's like, what is wrong with these people? (laughs) That's, like, in my haunted house experience, shortly before the <laughs> Sorry, I'm just gonna. <laughs> we should incorporate you doing that sound effect into like our opening music no, or something. No, but um, I in my haunted house, similar thing happened to me. I don't like haunted houses. I'm probably one of the few people on the planet that just does not like them. I have control issues. They are stressful. They are stressful. <laughs> she has claustrophobia. I'm, yeah, I'm claustrophobic, and I just don't like them. I don't like that. I don't like. This idea of extreme haunted houses where they can touch you and, like, pull out your teeth and whatever. Oh, God. Yeah, it's terrifying to me. I do not like haunted houses. So this is my first haunted house ever when I was 17. I'm terrified. I'm cowering behind my boyfriend at the time. He is behind... He was in front of me. At some point we get... Since it's crowded, he gets behind me. And in the dark, he, like, kind of, like, grabs my shoulder. Because you can't see. And, Mm -hmm. you know, like, I'm a little bit ahead, so I'm kind of in the way. And I was like, ah! scream because he touched my shoulder. <laughs> Even though these people can't touch me, right? I still got freaked out. And I go, why would you do that, Mike? And then all of a sudden we hear a voice in the corner go, yeah, Mike, why would you do that? And I ran the fuck out of there. I was like, nope, nope, nope. And I've never been in a haunted house since because I do not like them at all. I think they're terrible. They're awful. I would much rather watch a movie at home where I can pause and watch a funny cat would video. You, would you rather go through a haunted house or walk through a crowd of clowns going, ah. Oh, God. I think I, I think I would vote clowns. I really do. Because at least the clowns would be, it wouldn't also be dark. 
and scary. Anyway. Okay, back to Charlie. Back to this clown. <laughs> See what I did there? That sucks. So, so John Wayne Gacy, not surprisingly, witnessed some uh, criminal behavior before he started murdering people. In, in Iowa, Gacy had been arrested and convicted of sodomy, which landed him a 10-year sentence, but eventually he was paroled to Chicago in 1970. So he only served two years, and people were like, oh yeah, he was a model prisoner, he like, never did anything wrong, never did this or that, and it was just like, oh my god, and we'll see Brother. later. The date that he was, this like choked me up when I was reading, and I usually don't like get teary-eyed when I read Oh books. my god, dude. I know. But the day, like, this book is pretty well written. I don't like all of it. Like, he's very, like, bash you over the head. Like, everyone deserves a, a, a good trial, a fair trial. Even John Wayne Gacy. And I was yeah, like, I, I know, get it, dude. I know that's your job. You're, you're a public defender. Like, I fucking get it. You're going to defend guilty people. But, like... Well, and, you know, <clears throat> it's in everybody's interest for them to have a fair trial because then they have less grounds to appeal on. Correct. So, oh my gosh, I just lost my total train of thought. You choked up. Oh, yeah, I choked up because the day that he killed his last victim was supposed to be the day that he got out of Iowa. That oh, would have been that was his, his original years. release date. Yes. God. So if he had stayed in prison for 10 years, 33 young men would have been spared if he had served his entire sentence. Damn. Like, that just was really, like... That's too much. Fuck. Like, it was just, like, wow... I know the justice system is uh, not perfect as, you know, the understatement of the century. <laughs> but yeah, that like really got me. And I was like, oh shit, man. Because, you, you know, like I'm reading about the trial. I'm reading about these testimonies of the families of his victims. And, you know, I was researching all these victims. And since, of course, these victims are the same age as my students. Mm -hmm. This is a Chicago case. Mm -hmm. So they're going to high schools like Sen and Taft and Niles North and all these places that I know exactly where they I'm like getting to the Oh my gosh. But they're going to places that I know where they exist. They're the same age as my students. It was just like, oh, oh. Okay, anyway, it's just a lot. That is a lot. So, but let's go back to the crime that he was arrested for. So in August of 1967, Gacy committed his first known sexual assault upon a teenage boy. The victim was 15-year-old uh, Donald Voorhees, the son of a fellow J.C. What the hell is a J.C.? It kept, it kept mentioning him being the member of the J.C.'s in Waterloo and in Chicago. And I was like, I don't know what this is. I don't know. Maybe it's some sort of... <clears throat> might be like a political thing. She's Googling it. We'll get it. <laughs> So Gacy lured Voorhees to his house with the promise of showing him pornography, which also sounds like a porn. It's like pornception. It just Ugh. sounds like a porn within a porn. Like, that's so weird. But Gacy supplied Voorhees with some alcohol and... Oh, JCs are the United States Junior Chamber, a leadership training and civic organization for people between the ages of 18 and 40. And so they call them JCs for short. Oh, okay. So it's like the Boy Scouts before... <laughs> for grown-ups, I guess. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, so Gacy gave Voorhees some alcohol and persuaded the youth to perform oral sex on him. Over the following months, several other youths were sexually abused in a similar manner, um, including one that Gacy encouraged to have sex with his own wife before blackmailing him into having oral, uh, into performing oral sex upon him. What? Yeah. He's tricked several teenagers into believing he was just conducting homosexual experience in the interest of, like, science, basically, and research. And each of these young men was paid up to $50. What the hell? Yeah, it was fucked. 
In March of 1968, Voorhees reported to his father that Gacy had sexually assaulted him. And his father immediately informed the police and Gacy was arrested and subsequently charged with oral sodomy. Good for him for believing his kid. I mean, that's the bare minimum, but like in 68, if your kid, if your son is sexually assaulted by a dude. Yeah. Yeah. I would expect most guys to be like, we're going to sweep this Um, under the rug. Especially a man who was involved in politics and the JCs and this and that and the other thing. Yeah. Right. Good for him for being like, you're going down. Yep. So when Sam Amaranti takes his case, Gacy basically writes him on this memo pad, like a timeline of important events for his life. And some of them, it was kind of sad because he had just written nothing next to the year, like 1948, nothing, Mm -hmm. like stuff like that. But he had just like written through and he had written about this trial and this conviction Mm -hmm. because he was like, I'm sure it's going to come up in this case. So you you should know about it as my defense attorney. And he said that it was for sodomy of film for like possessing a pornography with this act in it or for you know performing a certain act during this film like he really wasn't clear he was just a kind of guy that just rambled and never took responsibility for anything yeah and and his lawyer was like john that doesn't exist that's That's not a thing that's not a thing like sodomy is sodomy we know what that means (laughs) right so but yeah, he, like I said, he just never took responsibility. And we'll see that like every single time. He was also arrested and charged with aggravated battery and reckless conduct in 1972 in Northbrook, Illinois. This case had been dismissed. In 1978, he had been arrested in Chicago for another kind of battery. The charge was pending and un- unresolved. So in this case, Gacy had solicited someone that he thought was a male sex worker, is what he says. Named... Jeff, and I can't think of his last name right now. But they used cannabis together, and as soon as the cannabis was gone, Gacy covered the alleged sex worker's mouth with uh, a cloth with chloroform on it and knocked him out. And Jeff awoke with bruises and sores on his face and a painful um, bleeding rectum, so he assumed that he had been raped. Mm -hmm. And these charges were about to be thrown out, however, because the victim had since moved to Florida and couldn't afford coming back and testifying, like mm-hmm. going back and forth between Florida and Illinois to testify against him. So basically they were thrown out, which is also very sad. His style, according to the FBI, mind hunting, guys. So if you're a fan of the show Mindhunter, you know, I love that show and I'm very sad that it got canceled after two seasons. Um, but Robert Ressler is the person that Mindhunter is like centered around. And he says that, You know, there are two types of serial killers. There are organized serial killers and disorganized serial killers. And John Wayne Gacy was an organized killer. Like, the crime scene photos that the police took of his apartment are immaculate. Like, nothing is out of place. Everything is neat and organized and just, like, very, like, meticulously put into the place that it belongs. And it was just, like, sort of, like, ooh, it was just... And also organized in terms of his life. Like, yeah. He was able to, like, keep up these, like, civic engagements yeah. and public roles. Yeah, exactly. He was able to compartmentalize his separate life of being a murderer and then all of these other roles. Mm-hmm. Which is... Ugh. I got chills. He showed planning, forethought, and cunning. You know, right? Like, he solicited all these young men with various guises to come over to his house. Mm-hmm. You know, come work for me. I'll give you, you know... an hour, which at the time they were making $2 an hour minimum wage Mm -hmm. jobs, right? So they were like, yeah, sure. And he maintained full control over his life and how he appeared to others, Mm -hmm. right? The mine hunting guys also said that since Gacy was a traveling contractor, he likely had more victims that had yet to be discovered. 
Some people disagree with that. Sam Amarante disagrees with that in his like epilogue of his book. But I think that might just be wishful thinking that he has like a close the chapter of defending Gacy mm -hmm. in his life, you know, which I totally understand and that's completely reasonable. But I agree. I think that there are several other victims that we just don't know about mm -hmm. and haven't found. So here's the timeline, right? In 1975, police start searching for someone named quote unquote John, which <laughs> I mean, that's also the name for like someone who solicits sex right. workers. So like, exactly. Not so it's like not helpful also my dad's name like it's a really common name yeah i also thought it was interesting that this was in uptown because at the time uptown yeah. where i live which is now um mostly like a vietnamese neighborhood um uptown at the time was mostly poor white people a lot of transplants from appalachia mm -hmm. so it's interesting that he was like i mean most violent crimes are committed by someone of the same race as the victim mm -hmm. but like Abby mentioned, he was able to offer these guys more money than they were making at their jobs. Yeah. So I think it's interesting that the first people to sound the alarm were teenagers in like a poor white neighborhood. Yeah. So, you know, the police are looking for a guy named John that cruises the area in his car trying to pick up young guys. This person is John Wayne Gacy, who's mm -hmm. just, you know, casually running his own contract in business, remodeled in business. Officers observed dozens of young men going in and out of Gacy's house in unincorporated Norwood Park, which is where Taft High School is, if you're familiar with Chicago. They stopped many of them for questioning, but none say anything against Gacy. So, like I said, people, he was pretty well liked. He was mm -hmm. well known. People in power liked him. Even on his trial, you know, the defense called up several witnesses that had worked for him. Um, John Wayne Gacy, spoiler, like, not surprisingly, didn't have a lot of friends. Mm -hmm. um, he had co-workers that were pretty close to him working on the job and stuff, but he didn't really have friends. So, um, but these people all were like, oh, yeah, I was so surprised. He'd never, never heard a fly. He never tried anything with me, but that wasn't the case for all of his co-workers. Yeah. So he definitely had a very certain type, for lack of a better word, that he went after. Yeah, again, he was able to compartmentalize. Like mm -hmm. some people treat them completely normally and not creep them out or set off any alarm bells. Yeah. And then some people, yeah. It's interesting because another way that he has woven, been woven into Chicago urban legend is if you've ever been to uh, Lakeview, there's L&L Tavern, which is on Clark Street, just, I think, north of Belmont a little is bit. Is it still standing there? Yeah, it's still there because I used to live down there. We talked, sure. about, we talked about my adventures living in Lakeview mm -hmm. um, in another episode. But yeah, I used to live just a couple blocks from there, and there's like a crusty old handwritten sign in the window boasting that it is the creepiest bar in America. And mm -hmm. there used to be, up until a few years ago, when they raised it, they knocked it down and built like a huge uh, Target with apartments above it. There used to be a Dunkin' Donuts slash Baskin Robbins across the street. And local urban legend has it that both Gacy and Jeffrey Dahmer used to chicken hawk for victims, like from L&L Tavern, like scoping out guys who were going in and out of the Dunkin'. Yikes. And if you're not familiar with Jeffrey Dahmer, he was the one that would murder boys and then eat them. Also a, a local guy. Well, he grew up in Ohio, but then settled well, mostly in Milwaukee, Chicago and Milwaukee. Yeah. yeah. And of course, like everybody else related to a Milwaukee cop, my like great uncle claims that it was his buddy who like busted Dahmer. <laughs> sure, dude. So in January of 1976, it should be noted that Gacy's relationship with police was such that they knew who he was, he knew who they were, and but they were still sort of staking out his 
house because something didn't quite feel right. Mm -hmm. And people were able to identify as that's the man that tried to solicit sex with me. Mm -hmm. And so in 1976, officers were staking out his house. They suspected that he would be, he was responsible for the disappearance of a nine-year-old boy. Um, And they're not able to build a case against him. So there's no proof. In March 1977, that's when Jeff Rignall, that's his last name, that's when Jeff Rignall enticed him into his car. So a $3,000 civil suit in that case was settled and he was charged with battery, misdemeanor, and Rignall actually wrote a book, 29 Below, about the experience. Yeah, and when Gacy was brought in on the murder charges, he actually testified, and we'll come back to him. He was Mm -hmm. one of the few people who was, like, attacked and survived. Yeah. Uh, New Year's Eve of 1977, an unidentified official familiar with the case said it was a one-on-one situation with Gacy's word against the kids. There weren't any witnesses. So he's arrested for allegedly kidnapping at gunpoint a 19-year-old teenager and forcing him to engage in sexual acts. So the police report shows that when he was taken into custody, Gacy admitted to engaging in the acts with this youth but denied that the teen was an unwilling participant. Oldest trick in the book. An assistant state attorney decides not to prosecute Gacy. And then this is wild. This I did was not, a weird one. Yeah, I did not know about this. But May 6th, is that, that's not Pulaski Day, is it? No, Pulaski Day is in like February. Yeah. Okay, so, but in March. May 6th, 1978, as director of the Polish Constitution Day Parade, Gacy, were serving, receiving Secret Service clearance meets and takes photos with First Lady Rosalind Carter. Yeah, it's apparently the largest Polish-based parade outside of Poland. And it oh, happens shit. to this day. Yeah, it used to take place, I think, in Humboldt, when, back when it was a Polish neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And uh, now it runs, like, starting at Buckingham Fountain. Um, but yeah, and I guess there there's a picture of him, like, with his, like, Secret Service, like, the, the pin that he has showing that he has clearance. And I guess the Secret Service was a bit of a laughing stock after he was busted for all these murders because they were like really the like guy who like killed 30 dudes you gave him clearance to meet with the first lady yep good going dudes yep so it should also be noted that in 19 uh december 11th of 1978 is when an honor student robert peist peist yeah um has disappeared um so in 1978, an honor student named Robert Peist disappears. But Robert Peist is actually how the how Sam Amarante's book opens is his Amarante recanting these events that John Wayne Gacy told him of how he murdered um, Robert Peist. And in it, he explains the handcuff trick. So basically, he would show his victims this trick and... Of course, they would say, how'd you do that? So he'd have handcuffs on him, and then he would magically escape from these handcuffs. Mm-hmm. And they'd be, you know, of course, the reaction is, oh, how'd you do that? And he would say, well, here, I'll show you. And then he'd handcuff them. And since they couldn't get away, because the secret of the trick was he had the key in his palm, and he yeah. just, sleight of hand, just got himself free. But, of course, since they couldn't get out of the cuffs because they don't have the fucking key, because he held onto the fucking key, he would then asphyxiate them. And uh, that's how he ultimately killed most of his victims. Sometimes he did it with a rope. Same idea. Just a different object. Mm -hmm. Robert Pice was a 15-year-old sophomore at Maine West High School, and he's packing up on his shift at at Nissen Pharmacy on Tui Avenue in Des Plaines around 9 o'clock in the the evening. 
So he's packing up. He's getting ready to go. His mother arrives to pick him up and uh, drive him back to their displays home to celebrate her birthday. She was turning 46 that day with their family. But he tells his mom to wait a few minutes because he has to see a man about a construction job that pays $5 an hour, which is, like I said before, it's twice what he's making at this drugstore, mm-hmm. like stocking the shelf and everything. And that is the last time he was seen. In the book, it talks about how like there's this really creepy exchange of... Oh, you would do almost anything for money, right, Robert? And Robert's like, yes, I would do almost anything for, you know, $5 an hour. And then Gacy, like, puts the moves on him. And Robert's like, what the fuck are you doing? That's not what I fucking meant. And that's when Gacy snaps and, like, does this whole thing. Like, plays it off. Like, oh, yeah, I was just just kidding. It was a joke. Never mind. Let's move on. Let's pretend like it never happened. Mm -hmm. And then did this trick and killed him. Mm -hmm. She waits for a little while, his mom. Waits for a little while, drives back to her house. Um, She returns to the area of the pharmacy with her husband and her other kids. And the family has two German shepherds, but they can't find anything. So I think that, I guess they were hoping that the dogs could like sniff Sniff them out. out. Mm -hmm. Um, So finally at about 1130, Elizabeth Pice arrives to the displays police station to file a missing report, missing person report on her son. And so in the book, it goes in depth about how he disposes of the body. So first of all, he strips him nude Mm -hmm. and puts him in his bed next to him and lies down to go to sleep next to this naked corpse and wakes up as though nothing happened. Okay. And like the whole time, the next, the morning after he commits crime, he's muttering to himself, oh, like, why did I have to make a 7 a.m. appointment on a fucking Saturday? Like, that's what he's upset about. He's not upset about the fucking body yeah. he has to deal with. But he had done this before. This was his last victim, like mm-hmm. we said. So he takes the body of Robert Peist, he, um, and he just sticks him in the attic. So, and then he takes his clothes and disposes of his clothes, but he doesn't. And this is what um, catches him in the end and what connects him to his victim in the end. He keeps this really nice blue down winter coat mm-hmm. that Robert Pice was wearing when he disappeared. He says, like, he remembers thinking to himself, why would I get rid of this coat? It's a nice, it's a really nice coat. Like, it's I'll December it, in Chicago. Yeah, I'll, yeah. Give it, I'll give it to, I think he said, uh, his coworker Mike or somebody else. Mm-hmm. It's a nice coat. Held on to it. It's in his house. It should also be no- also be noted that he kept trophies of every person that he killed. Yeah. So maybe he said he kept the coat because it was a nice coat and he might give it to his friend because it's a nice coat. But also... Maybe it was just a trophy. He literally has trophies of almost every single one of his victims to mm-hmm. help him remember these crimes. So take that the way you will. Um, the next day, December 12th, Police are like, we want to question Gacy because they know that he tries that he gets uh, teenage contractors to work with him and offers him a uh, offers them about that same rate. Yeah, and then he has all these teenage dudes going in and out of his yeah, house. exactly. So they're like, um, okay, this sounds this like Gacy. asshole. So <laughs> yeah, this asshole indeed, Lieutenant Kazin- Kazinchek, whose son attends the same high school as Heist. Insists on the super in-depth investigation. Probably because yeah. he's like, this could have been oh, my shit, fucking kid. Oh shit, this could have been my kid. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And he learns that Gacy, whose contractors had recently remodeled the Nissan Pharmacy, oh. was the man Pice went to speak with about a job. Yep. But, it's, I mean, at that point it's hearsay. 
because Gacy denied, 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 denied. Knowing Pice, talking to Pice, offering Pice a, do- a job. He denied, 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 denied it for like a month. Mm-hmm. The cops arrive at Gacy's house around 9 p.m. And his co-worker, Michael Rossi, also arrives at the same time because they were going to meet up and go Christmas tree shopping together. Charming. Which sounds really straight manish, if I do say so myself. But that's neither here nor there. <laughs> Gacy is asked to come to the police station for questioning, but replies that he's, you know, he's got a funeral to plan because his mom's brother-in-law passed away and he's waiting for a long distance call from her in Arkansas mm-hmm. and he doesn't want to miss it is what he says he's not why he's not going to be able to talk to the police and the book mentioned that like this gives this gave me the chills so this exchange of like I don't know this kid you know I got a funeral plan scram yeah I gotta go Christmas tree shopping yeah whatever the I hell. got shit to do bye but this they had this conversation and Robert Pice's body was in the attic about three feet in the air, like above them mm-hmm. talking. And then 26 other victims were three feet underneath them. Yeah. While they were having this conversation. And while they were having this conversation, John Wayne Gacy even says, quote, don't you have any respect for the dead? End quote. While he's standing on top of these what? fucking bodies. He's like, yeah, my, my brother, my fucking uncle. uncle just died. Like, don't you have any respect for the fucking dead? And I'm like... Glass houses, sir. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> so fucked up. That made me upset. But only one unmarked cop car leaves and leaves one behind to keep an eye on the house mm-hmm. in case he tries to find, to do any funny just, business. Yeah. So Gacy turns to Rossi and he just says, let's fuck with them. And Rossi just is a bro and is like, okay. So the two leave his house and they just dick around, driving around, just tool around his planes for a while. And um, then when they come back from this joyride, for lack of a better word, I wonder what this coworker of his is thinking. But see, like he says, he's like, "Yeah, me and Mike, we smoked some weed, and then we went home, like after we had just like choked up." And it's like you're so fucking. Oh my god, he's just so relaxed about all of this. Yeah, and what is my like? He just told this story to the cops about waiting for a long-distance call from Arkansas, but now he's like, let's just go joyride around go. and fuck with the cops. Yeah. Odd. Maybe he took the call between then? I don't know. The book doesn't say. So, after they do this joyride, Gacy takes down Pice's body from the attic. He rolls it up in an orange rug that he has in his garage that he's not really using. Um, and he just, like, plops the body into his trunk. He takes 55 South, which I drive every, every time. Every day. Yeah. <laughs> Which I drive on a lot and um, drives super carefully, which for John Wayne Gacy is like a noted, a notable thing. Was he a shitty driver? Yeah. Well, he was an aggressive, scary speed demon, basically. Like the book says it several times that he drove like a, like a maniac, basically. <laughs> but this time he drove really careful because he has a fucking body in the trunk. Yeah. And so he, he has a CB ra- radio. And the CB alerted to a smoky. This is, my parents had, I think they still do, had CB radios in their cars. It's like a, it's kind of like a walkie-talkie, but longer range, and you can tune into specific channels. This is for people who didn't grow up with, like, weird parents. (laughs) And uh, it's most commonly used by, like, long-haul truck drivers. Mm -hmm. And my parents had it because, I was going to say back in the day before we had smartphones, but my parents still don't have smartphones. Um, (laughs) Back in the day, it was really useful if there was, like, a traffic jam, you could call up ahead and see if any of the truck drivers ahead of you, like, knew the cause of the traffic jam. Or, like, is traffic starting to move again? What's going on? Yeah. So, and everybody, like, 
It's funny because all of these truck drivers have like fake southern accents. And they all curse like sailors. Yeah, and they all have like nicknames for themselves. So like my uh, <laughs> my granddad's CB radio handle was Prairie Dog. Mm-hmm. And my grandma's CB handle was Sweet Pea. <laughs> Cute. There's obviously more than almost anything else. There's slang for cops and cop cars. Smokey is a common one because of Smokey Bear and the hat that he wears. Uh, Bear in the air for cops in a helicopter. Um, Miss Piggy for female cops. Yikes. Oh, and yeah, sometimes an unmarked cop card is called a brown paper bag or a fox in the hen house. Huh. And my favorite CB story of all time, which we're, I'm just throwing in here to lighten the mood a little bit. <laughs> Appreciate it. <laughs> One time my parents and I were dry, on a road trip together and, uh, we were stuck in a traffic jam. So my dad turned down the squelch on the radio to be able to hear more people on the CB. And one of these guys with this, like, fake southern accent goes, if there's a beautiful woman in Wisconsin, she's a tourist. (laughs) My mom and I, like, we live in Wisconsin, my mom and I just cracked the fuck up. This is the funniest fucking thing I'd ever heard a CB operator say. Anyway. Anyway. (laughs) Back to this shit. Back to this asshole. So eventually he, he realizes, like, oh, the Smokey is me because he had sort of done these, um, like, at-home renovations on his car to make it look like an undercover cop car so that people wouldn't fuck with him. That's one way to do it, I guess. But it also doesn't make sense because he was trying to, like, solicit sex workers. Yeah. I don't know. But anyway, um, so he drives. So here's where I get conflicting reports because the newspaper says that he calls... I can't say this guy's name. Is this another Polish Kazin... name? Kazinczak? Kazinczak. Again, to say, you still want to talk to me. Like, he goes home before he goes back out. And then the book just says this this is one event. Okay. So, one of them says that he calls him, he goes home after he dumps Robert Pice's body over a suspension bridge, waits a few seconds to hear it land into the water, and then drives back home. So, this is in the Desplaines River where he disposed of this body. Mm -hmm. So... Gacy, you know, may or may not have called the cops back and said, do you still want to talk to me? And the police say, yeah. How long do you think it'll take you to get here? And Gacy says a half an hour. And then the police wait until 1 a.m., but he never shows. Yeah, and I think he said at, it was at 11 p.m. that he said he'd be half an hour. So they waited like two hours and they were like, like, okay, this guy's fucking with us. And then the book says that he's on his way to talk to police, but it's snowing and the weather's terrible and he like skids into a snowbank and like just need, I think he might've popped a tire or something and he needed a tow. We've been there. Yeah. Oh God. But he goes to the cops, but it's at like three, it's like three in the morning and he arrives to the station and Kazinczak had already left and he would be, and he said, oh, well, I'll come back later, I guess. But he was like, he was like telling this to his lawyer and he was like, I just thought cops worked all day. And I'm like, what? I mean, so firefighters work 24 hours on, 48 hours off in a lot of departments, but like, they also like sleep sometimes. I don't know. It's just odd. Yeah. All of his, all of his excuses, all of him explaining everything that's happened it's just are, like, are just odd what? and don't add up. Yeah. So... December 13th, 1978, Gacy's denial led to a police search. So investigators later, so they finally do discover that Gacy's car was towed out of the snowbank at 2 a.m. on the Tri-State Tollway. Oh, so later it was found out that that was about 40 miles north of where um, Gacy said he dumped Pice's body. So I think the tow was at like 
1 a.m. or something. Took about an hour to get back, hour and a half or so to get back to the police station. Mm -hmm. So they were able to sort of like place him at different times. Yeah. He does return. He gives officers a really brief statement. Kuzinchek asks Gacy's for the keys to his house, showing him a search warrant. Um, and Gacy gives him his keys. Yeah. I mean, what are you going to do? I think that's where we're going to leave off uh, this episode. Um, but you can catch the exciting conclusion to this case in our part two episode. So in the meantime, you can follow us on Instagram at Queers for Fears podcast or join our Facebook group at Queers for Fears podcast. If you want to tweet us, you can do that too. On Twitter, we're at Queers Fears Pod, P-O-D. And uh, finally, if you are uh, really enjoying the content and we're cracking you up, you should try to join us on Patreon and um, give us a little bit of money so we can buy new sound equipment. Um, That'd be great. So... Until then, we'll see all of you later. Keep it queer. Bye.